having failed to defeat President Trump in his successful quest to erase Barack Obama's legacy and leftist policies, Democrats now stoop to pornography to smack President Kofefe. We will analyze the role of Forbes paddling porn stars in presidential politics. Then an explosive new memo showing allegedly, uh, uh, allegedly detailing then President Barack Obama's egregious surveillance of political opponents has Republican lawmakers demanding it be released to the public. And wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Are you trying to tell me, are you trying to say that a lifelong Chicago politician is corrupt? Color me shocked. Filmmaker Joel Gilbert joins to discuss his new movie, Trump, The Art of the Insult. And finally, the tremendous challenges and successes of the March for Life. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. There is a lot to get to today. We got to dive right into it. But before we do, we have to thank people that I, you know, I actually used this just today. If you want to see that smooth little shave on my face, that is Dollar Shave Club. Uh, Dollar Shave Club is great. You've heard me talk about them before. I get an amazing shave from my Dollar Shave Club razor, especially when I use their Dr. Carver's Shave Butter, which is really nice. It's not uh, quite a, like a, a gel. It's not quite like that frothy stuff. It's just really, really nice on your skin. I am here to tell you that I'm not giving up that membership. I am adding even more Dollar Shave Club products to my daily routine. So they have a lot of stuff. You've heard about these guys before. It's so simple. Guys, I know what happens. You buy a razor, you maybe buy a nicer razor, or you use those little throwaways, and then about seven years goes by and you haven't changed your blade or gone to the pharmacy or whatever, just sign up for Dollar Shave Club. It is super cheap. It will They'll send this to you right to your door. It's, it's really inexpensive and the quality of the products is really good. So, and now they do more than just shave. They make products for your hair, face, skin, shower, everything you need. Uh, they, they use only the finest premium ingredients and they deliver it to you. This appeals to my millennialness because I never ever want to overpay or leave my chair. I, ne I, I fuse to it. So uh, this means no more annoying trips to the store. You going up and down the aisle, you don't know where the razors are, you go up and down, you end up buying a lot of candy and whatever you, know, whatever you do at the pharmacy. So uh, use it for everything. Razors, body cleanser, hair gel, and eat. This is, you know, this is a family show, so I don't want to get too, uh, too into the water closet about this. But if you find that you want to be a little European, but you don't have access to a bidet, there are certain uh, tools that will be sent to you by Dollar Shave Club to cleanse your derriere. Make sure to do it. Look, be civilized, be European. Western civilization is ascending again. So Dollar Shave Club has you covered head to toe and everything in between. Uh, now is a great time to join Dollar Shave Club. Uh, you should try it. You will get your first month of their best razor, along with travel size versions of shave butter, body cleanser, and yes, even the uh, derriere uh, reformulator for just $5. That is a really, really good deal. This is a, a real, just the razor alone is a really high quality. Plus you get all the other stuff. It is virtually free. You get it for just five bucks. After that, replacement cartridges will ship for just a few bucks a month. It is the DSC Starter Set, Dollar Shave Club. Get yours for just $5, basically for free, exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash covfefe. What is it, Marshall? dollarshaveclub.com slash Kofefe. Kofefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. -E. Do it and it'll get you covered head to toe and you'll feel really good and pampered and ready to go face the day. Go on, do it. It's the 21st century. Stop going to drugstores. Go do this. This will be economical and you'll feel a lot better. dollarshaveclub.com slash Kofefe. 
Okay, let's get right into this. I want to talk a little bit first about uh, Stormy Daniels. Can't go on. Everything I had is gone, Stormy Daniels. Let's address it. Democrats are peddling some totally unreliable tabloid trash that 12 years ago, a porn star spanked the president with a copy of Forbes magazine. <sighs> Let me just state this for the record. I would much rather have the president who is titillated by Forbes magazine over the one who's aroused by Saul Alinsky any day of the week rules from, for radicals. Uh, give me the former. What is the story here? The mainstream media have been peddling this rumor that Trump had an affair with a porn star in 2006. The porn star in question, Stormy Daniels, denies uh, vehemently that anything took place. She stated on January 10th, quote, I recently became aware that certain news outlets are alleging that I had a sexual and or romantic affair with Donald Trump many, many, many years ago. I am stating with complete clarity that this is absolutely false. My involvement with Donald Trump was limited to a few public appearances and nothing more. When I met Donald Trump, he was gracious, professional, and a complete gentleman to me and everyone in my presence. Rumors that I've received hush money from Donald Trump are completely false. If indeed I did have a relationship with Donald Trump, trust me, you wouldn't be reading about it in the news. You would be reading about it in my book. But the fact of the matter is these stories are not true. It does kind of sound like Trump might have written that, but it does get a Trumpian vibe. But I don't know. It could be his friends might write that way too. Now, In Touch Weekly is claiming to have a 2011 interview in which Daniels described the affair in lurid detail. What does this mean? For one thing, it means that none of this story is credible. Why is that? Because if the 2011 interview is legitimate, the interviewee is a confirmed liar. If the affair happened, she lied in the letter. If the affair didn't happen, she lied in the interview. Either way, if the, if the interview is legitimate, her word is worthless. Antonin Scalia explained this principle about leaked information at the Supreme Court. Uh, court clerks are prohibited from speaking to the press. They promise not to speak to the press. So if, when they do leak to the press, if someone does, their word isn't valuable, and so their information is not reliable. doesn't mean it isn't true necessarily, it just means it isn't reliable. The source that you're getting the information from is very much in question. So on to the accusation itself. There's nothing new here. We know that Donald Trump has had extramarital affairs in past decades. He's admitted to it. He's even bragged about it. President Trump's personal moral failings were built into the price of voting for him in 2016. And at the end of that calculation, the American people preferred the loudmouth lech with a patriotic plan to the feckless leftist crook, particularly after Barack Obama spent eight years spanking our collective derriere with rules for radicals that left America less secure, less rich, and less free. Let's also forget the Clinton comparisons, Bill Clinton rather. Trump has not perjured himself about this. He hasn't gotten creative with interns and cigars in the Oval Office. We knew what we were getting when we hired that man. And that's the operative word. I think frequently people make an idol out of the presidency, particularly people who are atheistic or anti-clerical in, in this culture, which is both. Everybody's got to serve somebody. And so we imbue the, president, the presidency with papal magisterium. Let's keep some perspective. Let's keep some important perspective here. We hire the president to do a job. So uh, he has to perform certain tasks. He needs to command the military, make treaties, appoint ambassadors, judges, and other public officials, give to the Congress information on the State of the Union, recommend legislation, and faithfully execute the laws. By all measures, President Trump far, uh, has, has so far rather performed those duties ably better than many, if not most, of his predecessors. And that's why they're digging up this trash. That, that's why it's coming up now. Democrats, they can't hit Trump on substantive matters because he's been great on substantive matters and he's been highly conservative and he's been highly effective. So they have to abase themselves even further with this pornography. 
They dig up and report a long discarded tabloid interview recanted by the very porn star who gave it. With the economy soaring, with the world order in recovery, tax reform, deregulation, originalist judicial appointments, desperate Democrats and frivolous Republicans have to make themselves pimps to smack the man who made them look like fools. Ignore the porn and let the good times roll. Now, before we get to Joel, because I really want to talk about this movie, it's very entertaining. I also want to uh, mention this story about an apparently explosive document that could undermine the Mueller investigation. Uh, here is Republican Congressman Gates describing it. Well, Liz, the allegations contained in this important intelligence document go to the very foundations of our democracy, and they require an immediate release to the public, in my opinion. Unfortunately, I cannot talk about the specific facts contained within this memo. I can only share my observation that if the American people knew what was happening, if they saw the contents of this memo, a lot would become clear about the information that I've been talking about on television for the last several months. And so I am calling on our leadership to immediately hold a vote on the floor of the House to make public the key contents of this intelligence memo regarding the FBI, the Department of Justice, and President Trump. The critical allegations, and I okay. cannot stress how important they are uh, in this memo. The Judiciary Committee uh, would likely find the contents of this memo very interesting, very revealing, and, and just essential to the way our government interacts with the duly elected President of the United States. This is no small measure. It is just as important as keeping the government open through the weekend, and we need to have a vote on it immediately. Congressman Steve King has said, I have read the memo. The sickening reality has set in. I no longer hold out hope that there is an innocent explanation for the information the public has seen. I have long said it is worse than Watergate. It was hashtag never Trump and hashtag always Hillary. Hashtag release the memo. Uh, Ron DeSantis has said, quote, the classified report compiled by House Intelligence is deeply troubling and raises serious questions about the upper echelon of the Obama DOJ and Comey FBI as it relates to the so-called collusion investigation. Congressman Scott Perry compared apparent government collusion with Democrats to the KGB. Gates says there are criminal implications. People will go to jail. Even Lindsey Graham has referred the Fusion GPS author, Christopher Steele, for criminal investigation. That's a Lindsey Graham, a rather moderate Republican, no personal fan of Donald Trump. What does this all mean? One theory is that the entire FBI investigation began because of the Democrat-funded Fusion GPS dossier, meaning that the federal government became political enforcers for Democrats to throw an election. I spoke to a high-level source this morning, and uh, he informed me that Barack Obama's ambassador to the UN, Samantha Power, may be implicated in all of this. In October, Samantha Power denied that in the final months of the Obama administration, she initiated well over 100 unmaskings to identify Americans whose names turned up in foreign intelligence reporting, specifically members of the Trump campaign. At the time, a spokesman for Power said, quote, the anonymously sourced reports about Ambassador Powers' intelligence requests are false. Now, the source I spoke to this morning suggests that that was a lie. The Russia collusion story always seemed like a distraction. Democrat ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, Dianne Feinstein, admitted they have no evidence of nefarious dealings, and Van Jones called the story a nothing burger. Now we have to wonder if perhaps the Russia collusion story wasn't merely a distraction for more nefarious dealings on the part of Democrats and the corrupt Chicago machine politician sitting in the Oval Office when it all went down. Okay, on a lighter note, all of this collusion and the government conspiring against Republicans and all, on a lighter note, let's bring on Joel Gilbert. 
Joel is the filmmaker behind one of the most kofefe movies ever assembled, Donald Trump, The Art of the Insult. I think I even have a copy right here. I'm going to prop it up with my uh, Fleckus Talks Kofefe soup can. Uh, it is, uh, he's also released the films. Oh, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. I blame the FBI and James Comey. <laughs> So, so Joel has also released the films Paul McCartney Really Is Dead, The Last Testament of George Harrison, Elvis Found Alive, and Dreams from My Real Father, A Story of Reds and Deception. Here is a clip from his latest film. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs. Only Rosie O'Donnell. And they said that wasn't politically correct. Who cares? You haven't been called. Go back to Univision. I think Jeb is a nice person. He's very low energy. I'm not used to that kind of a person. Throw him out. Throw him out into the cold. Don't give him their coat. No coats. L-Y-I-N apostrophe. Lion dead. I've never seen a human being eat in such a disgusting fashion. <laughs> the most dishonest human beings. These people right here. Look at all the cameras. So disgusting. This socialist slash communist. Crazy Bernie. He's crazy as a bed bug. <laughs> Pocahontas? The Indian. Very offensive. I'm sorry about that. Pocahontas? Crazier than a bed bug. Pocahontas, Joel, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me Appreciate today. you doing it. I really enjoyed watching the movie. Uh, so let's get right into it. My first question, what is the secret of the art of the insult? Uh, Donald Trump's uh, secret, of course, uh, I guess it starts with some New York chutzpah that he's willing to stand his ground. Uh, and with that, he comes up with a branding uh, of his opponents. Uh, people forget that Donald Trump was in the entertainment business for 30 years. They think of him as a real estate guy. Right. But he was doing uh, professional wrestling, pro boxing, Miss America, Miss Universe, of course, The Apprentice. He owned a USFL football team. So he had seen and done it all when it came to marketing and hype. And being in New York, he knew how to manipulate the media very easily. So he came up with these brand names for his uh, opponents, and they were so effective because they had a, a little mix of truth and humor. Uh, the first one that most people remember that was so effective was, of course, low-energy Jeb. It killed him. It totally destroyed Jeb Bush's presidential yeah, campaign. Yeah, I mean, $120 million in the bank, and uh, Trump came along with a marketing concept called low energy, and he had uh, very little money. He had this massive office in Trump Tower with three guys in it, and he would fly around in the... Uh, you know, Trump airplane and landed these hangars on this Trumpapalooza tour, and you'd have 20,000 people waiting five, six, seven times a day, and he'd go into this hilarious performance art where he'd mimic and imitate the people that he was branding. And it was so entertaining and so much fun, uh, he was able to use this performance art in combination with the branding to just destroy his opponents, and the, uh, the media just fell right into it. One of the funniest things I would always, you could just tell that the protesters would come to protest. They say, we're going to stop Donald Trump. We're going to embarrass him and, you know, we're going to make him look bad. And as soon as they would start uh, protesting, he would suddenly smile. He'd say, look, look at the protesters. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't realize that they were the ones that were drawing all the media right. to Trump's events. So he got $2 billion in free earned media mm -hmm. 
just by uh, manipulating everybody. It was masterful. Well, his entire campaign, it seemed to me, was some insults, some fairly clear policy proposals, and cheap hats. And that was it. And he got $2 billion of free media out of it. What was it about his insults that was so sticky? Because they didn't all stick. He tried out a few on Hillary. He tried out low stamina Hillary. That didn't really stick. But crooked Hillary was perfect. Low energy Jeb was perfect. Uh, what was it about the, that wording that made it so highly effective? Well, some of them were not as effective, like uh, uh, calling out Carly Fiorina for her face. That was mm. kind of off limits for a, a woman to talk about her looks. Uh, Pocahontas worked on Elizabeth Warren because it was something that had been around for a few years. Uh, Lion Ted Cruz, it really required a lot of explanation. It was particularly mm. hurtful and it was very skillful because Cruz's number one asset was he was considered to be very honest, yeah. constitutional, uh, Republican and somebody who stood for principle. So he was really going after his strength. That was the, the brilliance of that one. Mm. And it kind of unnerved Cruz. He kind of fell apart. And I felt that one was very aesthetic because I like Ted Cruz a lot. I don't think he's a liar. I thought he was a fairly uh, serious and straightforward candidate. But he looks like a liar. He just has a look of, about him. He, he even has talked about this. And so it, it almost seemed to me that Donald Trump was playing on what you saw in front of your face rather even than what Cruz was doing in the campaigns or in his Senate career. Well, let me take comments about Cruz. Uh, look, Ted, I spent a lot of time with Republican base voters over the past five, six years with my film. I'm known for dreams of my real father. There's no place like Utopia. And it was clear that the Republican base had moved far to the right of the establishment. Yeah. And Cruz played a big part in that. He's, he went around, uh, of course, he was widely admired. First guy to stand up to Obama on the Obamacare. Mm -hmm. Red, green eggs and ham on the Senate floor. He right. was the anti-establishment hero. And I actually advised Cruz, I worked with the campaign, and I told Ted and the campaign, I said, look, Ted just needs to be Ted Cruz, the rebel, the outsider. Mr. Cruz goes to Washington. I told him it was his to lose. But they went for more of an establishment campaign, a mm. uh, chairman in every state, every county, no strong marketing message. He tried to move to the middle. He kind of wanted to be Jeb Bush. Mm. So Donald Trump came along and said, okay, if you don't want to be Ted Cruz, I'll, I'll be I'll Ted be Cruz. Ted Cruz. So be. you can argue the drain the swamp candidate was Ted Cruz originally, mm. but he, he dropped it off and Trump came and Ted won the election, but it was in the person of, of Donald Trump. And on that, Trump was so... Uh, unconciliatory. There was no moment. They, I loved that moment when he said something about anchor babies and the journalist interviewing him said, don't you know that's offensive? He said, well, I know it's not politically correct, but uh, what would you prefer? And the guy says, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, future American, yeah. in, do, undocumented, whatever. Trump looks at him, he goes, yeah, I'm going to stick with anchor baby. What is it about that cutting through the politically correct pristine images we see from politicians, totally constructed in a laboratory. Trump cut through that like butter. Is it something about our moment that we're in right now that made that work? Or could a candidate have done it 10 years ago, it would have worked just as well? I think it would have worked as well. Uh, the American public had been had, abused uh, by Barack Obama for eight years. Mm -hmm. Don't forget he ran as a mainstream candidate. I'm going to cut the deficit in half. I'm going to obey the Constitution. Marriage is between a man and a woman and God. Right. He made it clear that he's mainstream. He never intended to do any of that. It was an intentional lie. And think of how evil a plan that is to come up with a 
a, a fake uh, agenda to try to get elected. And that, Obama is really the story of how American socialism changed from the late 60s. It was op calls for open revolution. Let's destroy the Constitution. Let's put 50 million Americans in, in camps and murder half of them. That's what the Weather Underground and Bill Ayers were, were pushing. They went to jail because it was so evil. They went into you're, the you're underground. You're talking about Barack Obama's buddy, Bill Ayers. Correct. Right. So what ha the way American socialism evolved was these guys came out of jail and out of prison in the early 80s, went back to Chicago into these educational institutions, and the old radicals taught the new group of young radicals like Barack Obama. They said, look, you cannot overthrow the government from the outside. It won't work. So keep your socialism to yourself. Keep your Marxism inside. And just tell people you want to help families. You want to uh, give them free health care. Mm. And once you take power, you'll throw them under the bus and pursue the radical agenda that nobody voted for. Well, we so, saw this in Obama. Yeah. Obama said, my health care plan is going to lower costs for everybody. Not costs a tax. Are not gonna, it's not a tax, and no one's costs are going to go up. And then when, obviously, costs rose right. precipitously, he said... Well, you didn't think you were going to get all that good stuff for free, did you? He yeah. said, oh, yes, we did. You told us that we yeah. would. So there, there was a collective rage in the public that we've been had, we've been abused, we've been lied to. Barack Obama interfered in the 2012 election with the IRS. The, uh, mm -hmm. the uh, conservatives were suppressed from organizing while the left could organize. And then, you know, we didn't need any Russian interference in 2012. We had our own Bolshevik in the White House using the tools of state mm -hmm. to maintain power. And now we're seeing he did it again with the DOJ and FBI. So and he promised us in, in 2012, right? He said to uh, Medvedev, he said, I'm going to have more flexibility after my election. As if to say, I am going to lie to the American public about my plans, but then I'll be nicer to you when I'm in office. And the classic response was, duh, I will transmit this information to Vladimir. Yeah, it's like an old spy movie, an almost Cold War, you know, um, unbelievable. You almost think that maybe the Russians had something on Obama. Mm -hmm. uh, but Donald Trump picked up on that wave, and he was part of that, and that's why uh, middle America fell in love with this Manhattan billionaire. And I think in the movie, uh, Trump, The Art of the Insult, it takes you through this rollicking ride. You just can't stop laughing and kind of cheering. And I thought I understood Trump. I read books about him. I talked to people who knew him for 30 years. I thought I knew Trump. Only when I put the movie together where you see all of this back to back, you see him reacting from and how authentic he is. And that's why he said what he said and he meant what he said. And even if it was a little odd or off the wall sometimes, you still wanted to, to vote for him. Whereas when Hillary spoke, you really couldn't figure out what she was saying. And if you did, you didn't believe her. And you had, yeah, you had to parse what she really meant. She said this and well, I know that in, in Clinton, Clintonese, right. this really means that and this really means that. And you had to try to parse it. With Trump, you didn't really have to. And that's one thing I really like about the movie is that it provides this great collection of just all of these hilarious Trump moments, a very effective Trump moments. Critics of President Kofefe say that he is debasing the moral and political discourse of the United States because he has these zingers and he's a brash billionaire from Queens. Do you think there's a moral hazard to this loose talk from the president, this straight talk from the president, or let the good times roll, we're getting great government out of it, stop your pearl clutching? Yeah, you got to look, he, uh, all Trump is doing is standing up for himself. He's standing his ground, he's standing his turf. If people uh, uh, violate the rules like Dianne Feinstein, uh, you know, she's sneaky Dianne Feinstein. So he's branding her. He's continuing to, to do what he does best, which is to call out his opponents and defend himself. The, uh, don't forget that, what did Barack Obama do? He, he abused the electorate every single day, called Americans racist on every occasion that he could. Uh, he used the, uh, the government to 
uh, do all kinds of nefarious things, calling, a, uh, telling people there's an evil boogeyman that has your money, the wow. top 1% is taking all your money, give me the power, raise tax. So uh, what Trump has done in comparison to Obama's uh, transgressions is nothing. He's standing his ground, and I think if he continues to do that and you know, stays the uh, authentic Queen's street fighter that people voted for, that he wanted a fighter. It didn't matter when he told Jorge Ramos, you know, go back to Univision. Uh, it, right there you could say the election was over. It was early on because people wanted a fighter. And it, it wasn't about yeah, Jorge Ramos. Right. It was about this guy will stand up to Hillary. He will. We see the strength here and we want to see the next episode of the show. And so my last question, can he win in 2020 and how will he do it? Uh, look, he's up against a, uh, a Democrat party that is uh, an anti-democracy party. They're now a radical socialist party. As soon as Trump was elected, two million anti-democracy protesters took to the streets. The Democrat leaders called for resistance. Now, resistance is a military term. The uh, anti-Nazi partisans use resistance. Right, Hamas eh? terrorists are they're in resistance. Now, in a democracy, it's called uh, opposition, not resistance, like an opposing opinion. Mm -hmm. And the, but they're, they're always shocked to find out that anyone holds a different opinion than they do. They're they, very tolerant they, until someone has a different opinion. Yeah, exactly. But they use this violent, it's violent rhetoric. And that's why we saw that guy, James Hodgkinson, the leftist uh, activist, tried to murder uh, the top Republican leaders and gravely injured Steve Scalise. So uh, Trump has the entire media complex against him. The, uh, the Democrat Party willing to shut down the government, willing to do anything to stop him. Because if he's successful, it... Uh, it reveals how bankrupt their policies are, their economics, and their leftist agenda to v divide the country and pit people against each other. So he's up against a very formidable uh, uh, array of, of very entrenched enemies. Uh, I think he can prevail because the American people understand him and they're on his side. And if he continues to just be himself and stand his ground, I think... Uh, the Republicans will be very successful in 2018. Despite the constant negative press, Kofefe, where can people get the movie, Trump, The Art of the Insult? Uh, well, uh, if they're in the L.A. area, they can see the world premiere screening in Encino on uh, Tuesday night next week, the 23rd. Uh, it is available Amazon.com, Best Buy, Barnes & Noble, everywhere you find digital downloads or DVDs. Uh, this coming Tuesday, the 23rd, you can buy the DVD or stream it online. Check it out. You're going to enjoy it. Joel, thank you for being hey, here. Thanks so much. All right. I, we've got to close off. I've got a little bit to say about the March for Life, you know, that thing that the mainstream media refused to cover, the largest, uh, longest continual protest in the history of America. But before we do that, I have to say goodbye to you. I'm sorry. If you're on thedailywire.com, we appreciate it. Uh, you help us keep the covfefe in our cup and the lights on. Um, if you are on Facebook and YouTube, i got to say goodbye, guys. Uh, go to Daily Wire right now. What do you get? You get me, you get the Andrew Flavin Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show, you get to ask questions in the conversation. Next episode is going to be little old me. You get no ads on the website. Forget all of that. Once Trump the Art of the Insult debuts next Tuesday in Encino, there's going to be a flood. It, we had a lot of fires and uh, LA has been dry for decades. It is going to flood and you're going to need this. This is the Leftist Tears Tumblr. It is going away. You do not know the day or the hour. But uh, make sure you get your uh, copy of it before it is gone. Otherwise, you and your family could drown. Uh, we will be right back. Uh, go over to dailywire.com. The March for Life. Tens of thousands of people right now are marching on Washington, D.C. for the 45th Annual March for Life. Never heard of it? You're not alone. Even many conservatives don't really know anything about it. 
because the mainstream media generally black the event out. Which is really incredible, by the way, as the March for Life is the longest continual protest in American history. They've been marching ever since the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade that made up a constitutional right to abortion. You know, you know, that thing where the framers were so concerned about abortion. Give me abortion or give me death. I forget exactly which article that right to abortion is in, but if you read the Constitution very, very closely, and then you invent that right out of whole cloth, you should find it. Pro-life supporters have come in from all over the country, and their efforts have not been in vain. Five years ago, in 2013, the number of annual abortions fell below one million for the first time in 40 years, and that number has slowly continued to drop. Of course, that means there are still roughly one million babies killed in the womb each year, with maniacal ghouls like Cecile Richards at Planned Parenthood snuffing out a third of them. Planned Parenthood alone has killed more than seven million babies in the womb since Roe v. Wade. And as the Center for Medical Progress expose showed us, uh, Planned Parenthood has profited marvelously by selling babies' body parts on the black market to the highest bidder. Since Roe v. Wade, well over 60 million abortions have occurred in the United States. To put that in perspective, that's the total population of South Carolina, Louisiana, Kentucky, Oregon, Oklahoma, Connecticut, Iowa, Mississippi, Arkansas, Utah, Kansas, Nevada, New Mexico, Nebraska, West Virginia, Idaho, Hawaii, Maine, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Montana, Delaware, South Dakota, Alaska, North Dakota, Washington, D.C., Vermont, and Wyoming combined. Today, as many people identify as pro-life as pro-choice, up tremendously over the past four decades, despite the constant slew of pro-abortion propaganda from the mainstream media and Hollywood. Cynical politicians scaremonger. They say that without abortion, before Roe v. Wade, without Roe v. Wade, thousands of women would die each year from back alley abortions, from coat hanger abortions. The former head of the National Abortion Rights Action League, Bernard Nathanson, has since admitted that he and his pro-abortion conspirators completely invented that number. It was totally made up. It's a total lie. In reality, by 1972, uh, the year before Roe v. Wade, when abortion was still illegal in the majority of the country, the actual number of women who died from illegal abortions was 39. Not 39,000, not 3,900, 39. The wilder statistic is that that same year, 24 women died from legal abortions, despite legal abortion only existing in a small percentage of states. The mass slaughter has taken a disproportionate toll on racial minorities. In New York City, more black babies are aborted than born. This is no coincidence. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a committed eugenicist who explained, quote, to understand the difficulties and the obstacles to be overcome before the dream of a greater race in America can be attained is to understand something of the task before the women who shall give birth to that race. Among our more than 100 million population are Negroes, Indians, Chinese, and other colored people to the number of 11 million. There are also 14,500,000 persons of foreign birth. There were 1,600,000 illiterate foreigners in the United States when the 1910 census was taken. Do these elements give promise of a better race? Are we doing anything genuinely constructive to overcome this situation? That's from her book, Woman and the New Race. And they did get very constructive, uh, reaching the climax during Roe v. Wade. Uh, future generations will look on our tolerance of abortion with the same horror and moral opprobrium with which we view slaveholders in the antebellum South. Which side will that history record you as having taken?
Good luck to everybody in the March on Life doing great work. And it's, and it's really great that our president, President Trump, has for the first time as a sitting president, a sitting president has addressed that March of Life in D.C. Really good stuff. Thank you very much for being here. I'm glad this is nice to do a Friday show today. I usually don't do that. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. The last episode of Another Kingdom, Andrew Clavin's podcast that I perform, the last, the final installment, the great climax is there. Please go over, download it wherever super duper Kofefe narrative podcasts are downloaded. Please leave us a review. It really helps us out. Send it to your friends, share it, tweet it, Insta, Carrier Pigeon, whatever you got to do. Thank you very much. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you Monday. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Marshall Benson. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Overa. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.